Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn how to glorify and serve Him. This next lesson, to me, is a very exciting lesson. We're going to take a look at Mark chapter 5, about verses 21 through 34. You may recall the story of the woman with the flow of blood. This story answers a very simple question. Does Jesus care about you? Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, and let's learn whether or not Jesus cares about us. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she'll get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had had an hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I'll get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This is the reading from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 34. We don't know how this situation with this woman started. In fact, by this time, she probably doesn't remember herself. She simply recognized that her menstrual cycle was not working cyclically anymore. Her discharge had continued beyond its usual time. I imagine at first she chalked it up to stress. I can imagine that first century life in Capernaum could be pretty stressful. But then it continued for a month. And then two months. And then three months. And on it continued. No doubt as a faithful Jewish, she prayed to God that He would heal her. But in this situation, she was cut off from every other aspect of the religion that she was devoted to. She could no longer go to the sanctuary because she was unclean in this flow of blood. Anyone who touched her became unclean, according to the book of Leviticus. Her relationships would be cut off. Those who loved her would cut themselves off from her lest they also become unclean. And she lived like this for 12 years. Today we call this condition the woman faced menorrhagia. It's caused by any number of things, as simple as improper diet, hormonal imbalance, deficiency in vitamin K, to things like cysts and fibroid tumors and polyps and even cancer. It's a debilitating condition that can cause severe, severe pain. And it can also lead to iron deficiency anemia, which we're all aware of the trouble that that can cause. Weakness, lightheadedness, dizziness, headaches, 
unstable heart rates, weakness, discoloration, and can even lead to further heart problems. This condition can also attack what many women consider to be their vital role and their vital function in our world. It could make her infertile. For 12 years, she had endured this physical trauma. But not only that, consider the emotional trauma that she faced. As those who loved her had to be cut off from her. As the relationships that she held so dear ended. Think about this. The Pharisees came up with their hand-washing rituals because of women like this. Because who knows, but there might be someone in this condition that has touched something in the marketplace and they've made it unclean and if I touch it, then I'm unclean and I have to wash my hands. Almost as if washing their filth off of our bodies. For 12 years, she knew those Pharisees were doing that. How do you think that made her feel? Do you think during the midst of that she ever asked, does God care about me? In our society today, we've recognized through medical advances that we can deal with this condition sometimes, depending on the case, with something as simple as changing the diet or sometimes something as extreme as a hysterectomy. But during her days, the doctors in Capernaum and Galilee and the surrounding region had no idea what to do with it. She spent all of her money looking for a cure. I can imagine it. Every time she heard about some doctor or some physician who seemed to be making, uh, doing wonders in their practice, she would hunt them down and she would go to them. And the text there in Mark said that she suffered much at their hands. They charged her money. They made her do who knows what. And it never worked for 12 years. Can you imagine what she thought? Do you think she had much hope now at the end of 12 years? Do you think she thought that there might be somebody who came on the scene that could actually do something about this? The numbers of times she'd heard some name and people speak in awe and go to them and find out that it was useless once again? But then she heard about Jesus. Here was a man that was performing such wonders that he could hardly even show his face in the crowd without drumming up a crowd. And they pressed in on it. And she believed, if I were just able to touch his garment, it would heal me. But I have no doubt that she equally believed that if she just went to him and asked him, can I touch you, he wouldn't let her. Here is a man, holy and powerful, clearly from God. How on earth would he ever allow someone so as unclean as her to touch him? And yet she takes the chance and she comes out to the crowd and she looks across and she sees him. But all of these people, if they knew who and what I am, they would cry out a warning. They would start shouting, unclean! And isn't that the synagogue official that he's talking to? I I know that he would look down on it. And certainly, she thinks, I couldn't compete with him for this man's time. And yet, she thinks to herself, if I can just sneak up, perhaps I can sneak through the crowd. And just by seeming accident, touch his garment. 
and then blend back in, and I'll be healed. And so she starts to make her way through the crowd, and I can almost envision, and I have no doubt that she had something covering her head. Looking to the ground, trying not to make eye contact with anyone, lest she sees somebody in the crowd that knows her and recognizes her and warns everyone. As she cautiously steps through the crowd, trying not to touch anybody and draw attention to herself, and she sees Jesus, and he's now heading off because that official is taking him to his house. And so she hustles and hurries. And finally she sees him and she's there. And she reaches out and she touches him. And it happens. Immediately she feels the flow of blood stop. The headaches leave. The heart rate stabilizes. The dizziness is gone. The ringing of the ears is stopped. The pain has ended. And yet, of course, she can't say much or jump or shout for joy because then everybody will know what she did. And so she tries to blend back into the crowd and she can have touched him and no one even knows. And no one has to be guilty because nobody knows that anybody unclean has been in the crowd. But as she tries to blend back into the crowd, the master stops and turns and says, Who touched me? She should have known that one as holy and powerful as Jesus could not be touched by someone so unclean without knowing. What went through her mind at that moment? What is he going to do? What is he going to say? Cast me out of the city? Run out of the synagogue? The disciples said, Master, look at all these people. There are hundreds of people in the street, and you're going to ask a question like, who was it that just touched me? But Jesus knew what had happened. And he turned, and he looked directly at the one who had touched him. And she knew she was caught. And the text says she came to him fearing and trembling and fell on her face and confessed what happened. And I don't know exactly how Jesus approached the woman at that point, but I can tell you how I envision it. I see him almost kneeling down and cupping her chin, and as he lifts her up, lifts up her face to look in her eyes, and he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. And then he gets up, and he continues on to the official's house. That is truly an amazing story, but it's one that we have read and heard so many times, I'm not sure that we are as impressed with it as we ought to be. As we look at these stories of healings throughout the Gospel, we need to recognize that these stories are not here just to tell us about some miracle. But these are salvation stories. They're stories that describe for us in parallel how God wants to deal with us as He wants to... Give us His blessings of salvation and then His further blessings of grace in our lives. And as we look at these stories, we need to see ourselves in there. And as we look at this unclean woman who for 12 years faced this debilitating condition, the flow of blood, this question, this story questions, does Jesus care? And it answers that question. Have you ever wondered that? Does Jesus care about me? Does Jesus care when I'm sick? 
Does Jesus care when I'm struggling financially? Does Jesus care when I'm struggling in my family? Does Jesus care when I'm struggling spiritually? Does Jesus care enough about me in the midst of all these masses in the world that are vying for His attention? Does Jesus care enough about me that He'll pay attention to me despite the fact that there are so many other more important people that are competing for His attention? Is Jesus deterred from me because of my uncleanness? If He does care, why is He waiting? And if He does care, how can I obtain His blessing? This story answers all of those questions. I'd like for you to consider just a few lessons. The first of which, this text points out to us that worldly physicians cannot help us. We don't know when she started seeking these doctors. But they put her through a lot and they gave her all kinds of advice, but they didn't give her any help. They just made her suffer more and took all of her money. As we are seeking the blessing from the Lord, as we're facing our struggles and whatever it might be in your life, you need to understand this. The world's physicians will not help you. Now, I trust that you understand I'm not talking about physical sickness. I'm not saying that if you have a cold or, or cancer that you shouldn't go to the doctor. That's not what these stories parallel for us. They're not about physical sickness for us. They parallel, rather, the fact that God wants us to be whole emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And those would-be physicians in our world that will tell us how to have healing in our souls, that will tell us how to have blessing in our lives, they can't help us. The guys in the locker room will give us all kind of advice, but it won't work. The girls around the water fountain at the work, they'll tell us all kinds of things to help us find blessing and happiness, but it's not going to work. Chicken soup for the soul gives us a nice warm fuzzy, but it gives us no lasting satisfaction. Anything that we might turn to to get rid of our problems or to ignore our problems. Immorality, alcohol, drugs, any of those things, they won't help. The worldly physicians will not help us. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 says, There's a way which seems right to men, but it, its end is the way of death. Did you remember John chapter 6 and verse 68? John chapter 6 and verse 68, as Peter says to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. The world's advice ends in death. The great physician Jesus gives us life. We must put our trust in Him. The second thing that I learned from this story is that the crowds will not distract Jesus from us. We turn on our news and we hear about tsunamis. We hear about hurricanes and floods and earthquakes and forest fires. And we hear about wars and terrorist attacks. And we know that there are people all over the world, thousands of Christians every day that are constantly vying for God's attention, crying out in prayer to God, asking His blessing in their life. And you ever sometimes just think, you know, I wonder if my problems are just too trivial for God. Just me, little old me, the God who has got to keep the entire universe running. Can He possibly care distinctly about me as an individual or do the crowds get in the way? But what we learn from this woman is that the crowds don't get in the way. Jesus knew 
And Jesus cared. And the crowds did not distract Him from this woman. And we remember what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. This passage is not about the general masses of yous that are in the world, but about you. Peter was writing to you. Jesus, as He looks through the entire world, cares about you. And we must keep our faith in it. But another thing that I learned from this lesson is that the officials do not supersede you. Here was the synagogue official. His daughter was dying. In fact, had died. Surely there's no way that this woman who's been unclean for 12 years could compete. That Jesus would stop and take time. And have you ever felt like that? Have you ever wondered if those who were more important might take precedence? We come into the assembly and we see all these wonderful people who, who we know they don't have any of these problems. They're not unclean. They don't have issues that they're dealing with. Surely if God is going to listen to anybody here, it's going to be them and not me. If God is going to provide blessing for anybody here, it's going to be them and not me. But we learn from this woman that the officials don't supersede us. You remember Romans chapter 2 and verse 11? Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, For there is no partiality with God. In Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus doesn't look at some as more important than others. There's no partiality there. And He cares about you. The fourth thing, my uncleanness will not stop Jesus from healing me. It will not stop Jesus from wanting to reach out and touch me and for me to reach out and touch Him. I recognize that this woman's uncleanness was not one of a moral nature. It was a ceremonial nature based on the law that they were under. We recognize that within that law, these issues of ceremonial cleanness were an illustration of how impossible it is for man in his sins to approach a holy and blameless God. And yet, the, the issue is the same for us in our sins. We recognize from Isaiah chapter 55, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it can't save, nor is His ear so dull that it can't hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He doesn't hear. Our sins separate us from God. They make us unclean while He is clean and holy. 
But God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world to bridge that gap between us and Him. And I think sometimes we forget that. That the whole reason Jesus came into the world was in order to take unclean people and cleanse them and bring them into the presence of God. And we lose sight of that. And we begin to be afraid that perhaps God, perhaps Jesus doesn't want to be around us. We certainly see our friends and our brethren in the assembly and we think that. We, we know. We know they're figuring it out. They can see it in me. They, they can tell what I've done. You know, old Sister So-and-so didn't say what she normally says. I think she's figured they, they can... And so then we start walking through the crowd cautiously, not wanting to touch anyone. We don't spend time with them outside of the assembly lest they find out who and what we really are. We get here a little bit late and we leave a little bit early until finally we're avoiding it all together and avoiding Jesus. But just a few chapters before our story in Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, in verse 15, Mark 2 and verse 15, it happened that He was reclining at the table in His house and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and His disciples for there were many of them and they were following Him. When the, scribes of the, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. When we're unclean, we are the very people that Jesus wants to be around. Because we're the ones he came to save. He wants us to reach out to him. And our uncleanness does not deter Him from His work at all. We must keep our faith in it. Jesus wants us to be whole, healed, and headed for heaven. If there's anything in this text that surprises me, it's that the woman, after all this took place, and Jesus called attention to it, that she fell before Him with fear and trembling. In my mind, I would think there ought to be shouting and rejoicing and wanting to talk about how wonderful this thing is and obviously God is pleased with her because she was healed. But keep in mind that for 12 years, she had been trained that she was not supposed to be here. For 12 years, by the washings of the Pharisees, she had learned that she was unclean and she wasn't supposed to touch people. By 12 years of being shunned by friends and family, she had learned that she wasn't supposed to be out among the people. And who knew what this holy and powerful man would think about her when discovered? Here was a man that was clearly more holy and powerful than the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the priests all rolled into one. How is he going to view her? What we learn is he wanted her to be cleansed. He wanted her, based on her faith, to be made whole and healed and to be able to go in peace. And that's what He wants for us. You remember 2 Peter chapter 3? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, "...the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." 
God is patient with us. Because He doesn't want us to go to hell. When He looks down on us and sees us in our uncleanness, He's not waiting to be able to zap us. He is waiting in hopes that we will return to Him and reach out to Him in faith and grab hold of His garment so that we can be whole, healed, and going to heaven. We've got to put our faith in Him. I also learned that Jesus has His own reasons for blessing us on His schedule, on His timetable. Why did God wait for 12 years? She'd been dealing with this for 12 years. At this time, Jesus had been on the scene for about a year to, to two years, somewhere in the middle of that second year. But for 12 years, she'd been dealing with this. No doubt she had been praying. And yet God didn't deal with it. And I don't know why. I can speculate. Perhaps He waited because He knew that with this one individual, there would be the opportunity to demonstrate the deity of His Son. It was going to be ten years before He came on the scene and that would happen. But that through that, Jesus would be glorified, God would be glorified. And this woman would be remembered as one who reached out in faith and touched Jesus. We don't know God's reasons for waiting. We know in the end, He blessed her. I remember Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And when we're sitting there wondering, why won't God do something about this now? All we can do is step back and think, you know, that woman waited 12 years. God in His wisdom did what was right. His wisdom is higher than mine. I'm just going to wait on Him. Psalm 27. Psalm 27, beginning at verse 11. Teach me Your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. What would have happened to this woman if after 11 years she had just finally given up complete all hope? And it didn't matter what she heard about or who she heard about. She wasn't going to do anything but just sit in her dark room. She would have continued on until she died. But she waited on the Lord. And the Lord blessed her on His timetable. We've got to keep our faith in the Lord. And then the final lesson that I learned from this, and this is one that I think the great majority of the religious world misses when they come to this story. Jesus expects us to act on our faith. Remember in John chapter 1 when Philip went to get Nathanael and Nathanael came back and Jesus said to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. And he says, Oh, do you know me? And he says, Listen, before Philip came to you when you were sitting under that fig tree, I saw you. Remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus knows. Jesus saw Nathanael under that fig tree. And Jesus saw this woman in her flow of blood. 
Jesus saw this woman in her house. Jesus saw this woman as she walked up to the crown, and Jesus saw this woman as she walked to the crown. When Jesus asked the question, who touched me, it wasn't because he didn't know. Because even within the crowd, he turned and looked at her. Jesus was asking this question to draw everybody else's attention to her. Jesus knew. And Jesus saw. But you know what's interesting? Jesus didn't go to her house and heal her there. Jesus didn't see her come to the, the crowd side and shout across, you're healed, your faith has saved you. Jesus didn't heal her as she demonstrated her faith walking through that crowd. It was when she finally reached out in faith and reached out and grabbed His cloak. When she acted on her faith, that was when Jesus healed her. And you remember what James said in James chapter 2? In James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, the Scripture there says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? The woman in our story would not have been healed just by believing that if she touched Jesus' garment, she would be healed. She was healed when she acted on that faith. Verse 17, Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? He goes on and demonstrates Abraham and Rahab. Verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 26, for just as the body is without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Jesus expects us to act on our faith if we want to receive His blessing. And this is true when it comes to that initial moment of salvation. You remember Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. As Paul talked about those who were coming into Christ, he says, "...having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him up from the dead." It's not enough just to have the faith that God will work. We have to do what He says, and then He'll work. But it's not just about that initial moment of salvation. The blessing that God offers His children is given when we act in faith. We've got to maintain our faith and reach out and hold on to Jesus. Because Jesus does care. And we need to understand that all of those other all of those other worldly physicians, they don't care. They won't help us. But yes, Jesus does care. And He cares enough to look through the crowds to see us. And He cares enough to look past all those more important people to see us. And He cares enough to be undeterred by our uncleanness. He cares enough to wait and be patient for us to reach out to Him. And when we do, he will bless us. And as we are awaiting that blessing, 
Let us not get so caught up in this one moment. I think one of the problems with this story is really the only part of the story that we read is that moment of the miracle. And I wonder what we would think if we were able to get this woman's diary for the 12 years of pain and suffering. And she waited and waited and prayed and sought and waited. And then finally, after 12 years, God gave her the blessing. Let us not be so intent to have that final miraculous moment that we forget the 12 years of endurance and maintaining faith in God that was capped off with her reaching out to Jesus. God will bless us on His schedule because Jesus does care about you. I certainly hope this lesson edified you as we learn the answer to the question, does Jesus care about you? Let's remember what we've learned from Mark chapter 5. One, the worldly physicians will not help us. Two, the crowds do not distract Jesus from us. Three, the officials do not supersede us. Four, our uncleanness does not deter Jesus from us. Five, Jesus wants us to be whole, healed, and headed for heaven. Six, Jesus has his reasons for blessing us on his timetable. And seven, if we want to be blessed, Jesus expects us to act on our faith. Again, I hope this edified you. If you have any questions about Jesus, about his church, about blessings that can be found in Christ and how to receive them, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone has given you this lesson on CD or audio tape. If that's the case, I'd like to encourage you to go to that website that I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you are free to download, both in outline and audio format. You're free to use those in whatever way you believe will edify others and draw people closer to God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.